and welcome to the GM Yearbook. I'm Matt. And I'm Jim. Welcome back and welcome to the second Halloween Jam Yearbook special. Woo! That's my very, ghost impersonation. It's very, very spooky in here. Yeah, that's right. Last year we had our very first metal episode and that was a blast, but we're going to change things up this year. Yes, we're talking about zombie bands. I'm not talking about the band, the zombies, or Rob Zombie, or even the lead singer of the Cranberries. <laughs> this show, yeah, that went dark. This show is about replacing members of the band after another member has passed away. We're not trying to be morbid, but I think it's worth addressing because sometimes it's accepted and embraced, and sometimes people reject it as a horrible idea. We didn't coin the phrase zombie bands. I heard it on another music podcast we both enjoy, so give those guys credit. But I thought it would make a great conversation for Halloween. So right away, Matt, let's get it out of the way from the top. Who is the greatest of all time? Is it ACDC or Leonard Skinner? Uh, that's not a fair question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fairly Skinner intolerant. I, I think you know that. I think everybody knows yeah. that. And the last I knew, there wasn't a cure for that either. My answer could be taken as biased because of that, but it has to be ACDC, right? I'm not going to disagree with you, but give me the pitch. Bias aside, and both have songs that will be remembered long after they're gone. Why do you think it's fair to compare them? Um, I, I, Okay, so I'm going to be objective here. It It is a good comparison, I think, because both bands, they're legendary. They mm-hmm. started out around the same time. Bond died in 80, Ronnie in 77. They were 33 and 29, respectively. Even if you take out personal preference, ACDC has had more staying power. Brian Johnson became just as iconic, maybe even more so than Bond. There's not too mm-hmm. many bands that replace another member that can reach further than what their predecessor did. More importantly, ACDC remained an active recording band, releasing hands down a career best album back in black with a brand new singer. And I also think it's good to point out that when Brian Johnson dropped off their tour a few years back, word on the street, that Axl Rose was no slouch picking up that torch and finishing the tour as their front man. So that band plays regardless of who's going to be up there in front of them. And I think Axl was the right choice there. Uh, just style of singing. Mm-hmm. Yep. And really, Brian Johnson is more a part of the band. It's really the Angus Brothers band. And if you really want to go in micro, you see the image of a school by outfit, the cap, the Gibson SG. The first thought is ACDC, but more importantly, Angus Young. He he is synonymous with the band. That's the imagery that you get when you just say those letters, ACDC. I don't think the imagery of Leonard Skinner has been too kind to their career over the years. But that's an argument for a different podcast. But after losing each of their front man, it does seem like definitely one of the bands went on and continued with more confidence. Ronnie Van Zant died three days after they released uh, the Street Survivors album. They didn't record another album until 1991. So you're talking 1977 to 1991. It wouldn't be right to omit Steve Gaines. He also died in the plane crash. Leonard Skinner has iconic songs that will never be forgotten. It's it's ACDC. So keep telling me why I'm right, Jim. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're right because plainly, I'm not going to disagree with you. I bought that Leonard Skinner release when it came out in 1991. I had a lot of anticipation for it. 
I was raised on 70s Skinnerd, but there is not a memorable song off that album when I try to remember anything from it now. I don't even remember what it was called, but I can tell you that Money Talks and Thunderstruck came from ACDC's 1990 album a year earlier, Razor's Edge. And as we're doing this show right now, those two songs are probably getting airplay somewhere in this world. Oh, yeah. You know, Thunderstruck is it's a mainstay at sporting events. Yeah, it is. <laughs> that gets played every day. And if you're talking about worldwide exposure and success, there's another check for ACDC. I don't know how far the reach of Southern Rock is outside of North America, even then outside the U.S. and Canada. So I think Leonard Skinner has that working against them. And no big reveal at the end of the show. So <laughs> we've already hammered it out here. <laughs> Regardless, there's multiple generations that know the music of both bands. Mm -hmm. But let's move on because there's a lot more to talk about. And if I keep going, people will realize I am so full of shit. <laughs> yeah. If they haven't already anyways. No, I'm, I'm sure they're figuring that out. So I've got another question. Why do you think in some cases it's okay for the band to keep going, but in other circumstances, it's considered disgraceful to the band or the member that they'd lost? Oh, boy. I think we're going to have to keep talking and, and weasel this one out, but <laughs> I think you got to take it case by case. Doesn't it have to pass the smell test, though? You just know <laughs> it when it happens. Ultimately, it's the role played in the band and the timing. Yeah, I think sometimes... A zombie band turns more into a tribute act of its former self. I went to see Blind Melon probably in 2008 or 2009, and we've spoken about them in previous episodes. They were one of my favorite early 90s bands, and they were cut short when Shannon Hoon died. They still sounded great. Musically, they were incredible, but I was a little weirded out because they basically had a lookalike vocal impersonator take the lead on stage. And this guy was probably in his early to mid-20s, so he looked like a reincarnated Shannon Hoon <laughs> up there. And don't get me wrong, he was great, but there was just something about it that felt a little off. The surviving members may have thought it disrespectful to continue on without Shannon because he was very identifiable. The voice, the look, everything. And Blind Melon continuing on may have been more out of desperation because the last album they put out with Shannon it was in 95. That was only, what, their third album? Or no, their second. or well, No, their second, yeah. Yeah, and he died after a couple months after its release. They put out Nico posthumously in 96, but that was a collection of unreleased tracks, so they were just you know polishing up what they had in the can. Mm -hmm. But then 13 years later, in 2008, they finally come out with something new under the Blind Melon name. In between, some of the band members tried unsuccessfully to get other projects off the ground. So it feels like they realized the only thing that would get traction was the Blind Melon name. Maybe because the new singer, uh, Travis Warren, I think his name was, does have a similar voice and look. They, they may have thought it disrespectful themselves to continue on without him. Yeah. And I do know that one of the guitarists, you might find this interesting, I found some live clips with him in uh, Royce and Langdon from Space Hog. Oh, yeah. They had some kind of project going on, but I only was able to find live clips. Of it. But it sounded kind of like Space Hog, which that's cool. a lot of stuff that Langdon does sounds like Space Hog. But yeah, we, we both kind of like that sound. Unfortunately, we'll never know the highs or lows Blind Melon could have reached. Soup didn't perform well 
And why is that? Did Shannon's death affect it? Or really, and I, I lean more towards this, they were probably just one-hit wonders to begin with. Not in my eyes, because Soup has Well, they a were kind of, my... of a short-form jam band, though. Yeah, I think you have a song like No Rain, and as popular as it was, and yeah. the, the whole world knowing it as the B-Girl song, even mm-hmm. if they didn't know the name of the song, it yep. had it gained iconic status in the way that any kind of one-hit wonder band does. But musically, I found Soup to be more creative, and it has a couple of my favorite songs of theirs on it. Yeah, and that's where one hit, a, a one hit like No Rain, it can damage a band mm-hmm. because nobody gives anything else the the yep. proper uh, attention to see if they like it because they were talented. They had a lot of good songs. The whole band had a hand in writing the songs, but in general, vocalists, they're the hardest to replace, especially one with such a distinct voice. And we started with a parallel, and here's another. A few months after Shannon Hoon... Brad Newell of Sublime died. Don't you remember it being a much bigger reaction when Brad died? I knew they had released some music, but they didn't really break until after Brad Newell died. I was introduced to them as the band whose lead singer had just OD'd probably the first time a CD got put in at my place. And then after Brad Newell died, there was a fan out there who was already covering their music. The band discovered him And they just basically plugged him into the lineup almost immediately afterwards. (laughs) I think unlike Shannon Hoon, who'd relentlessly toured with Blind Melon, he would have been more difficult to replace straight away. But Sublime had an entire new fan base opening up for them. And they were able to quickly get away with bringing Rome Ramirez up on stage. Sublime did have a rabid grassroots fan base. And I think that's, it kind of expanded from there after he died, but you're right. I remember when they started getting airplayed around here and it really was after he had passed away. Mm -hmm. I remember people being broken up about it though. And I'm like, how are you broken up about this? Because this is the first time hearing of the guy. (laughs) Yeah. Was it more for sadness ahead because you liked a few songs that you're not going to get more of them? It was, it was a weird weird situation yeah we were losing a lot of people in the 90s so i think everybody had yeah. to have their kind of person to grasp onto we went through cobain a little you know a few years mm-hmm. earlier and then the next group of kids that got out of high school had their guys and i think that's uh kind of where that you know got latched onto. yeah and unfortunately it, it does sometimes take a passing and then somebody starts pushing the music and you're like, wow, dang, this is pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, how, how, why does it take somebody dying before we hear this good music on the radio? Really is strange. And 40 Ounces of Freedom came out in what, like 92? So that had uh, actually been yeah. out and around for a little while. And I can understand if you were a kid in junior high liking that, it wouldn't have been anything on my radar in the, the mid 90s by the time that the second album came out and Brad Newell died. But I can see how there was probably, like you said, that rabid fan base already kind of secure and in place. Yep. And, you know, the 90s, we've talked about this where it's kind of a grab bag. There's a lot of everything kind of going mm-hmm. on and Sublime did stick out. They did. You know, they had their own thing going on. Yep. Um, but no band takes the same path in replacing a lost member in excess. At a reality TV show. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying not to laugh, but 
this was a competition to become their new lead singer to replace Michael Hutchins. How corny was this? <laughs> Did you give it the time of day? I watched the start of it out of some kind of morbid curiosity, but in a half an hour show, how many times can you watch 10 guys sing new sensation? <laughs> it just seemed really strange. I remember finding out who won and thinking, okay, that's cool. That guy did sound the most like Michael Hutchins and he performed well. Uh, his name was JD fortune. They went on to release an album with him. <laughs> what a stage name, JD fortune. I'm, yeah, Urban, somebody got creative I'm, there. I'm, I'm, yeah. <laughs> Maybe they had a bunch of unwritten material they wanted to push out for one final album. It just, it didn't wind up being memorable. And this is where you could go one of two ways. Yeah, you were, do you know if they were specifically looking for somebody to sound like Michael Hutchins? I think they were just looking for another great front man. That was kind of the concept to the start of the show. Okay. But somebody who could also perform their classic hits. Okay, because I could see why you would want somebody to sound similar to the previous singer, but I think it kind of closes the door on what you could do going forward. I agree with that. A, a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I, in excess, we loved them in the 80s. They had yep. some great stuff, and I hope they would have been above this. But more surprising was that their height of popularity was gone. Yeah. I mean, we're talking 2005 American Idol. It was still, it was in its third, second, fourth season or whatever. So this kind of show hadn't warmed out its welcome yet. Mm -hmm. And this is where timing comes into play. Hutchins died in 97 in 2005. They're going to pull this off. Kick was massive in an album. A lot of people treasure the album after that X did well too, but everything after that didn't produce the same results because you know, music, travels on into new directions yeah yep. you know while the shine was off their apple it was a sad day when michael hutchins died i yeah. know a lot of people who were really sad when that happened yep maybe the way they went about replacing him is where it feels disrespectful i hate to throw that word around again but uh making a spectacle of it seems disrespectful but they had to think that the tv exposure would at least get the curiosity seekers and that was me. The hands up, I admit it. But it didn't last long. As I said, I, I probably watched maybe four or five episodes before I said this was just not for me. It wasn't cool. I checked out one and kind of like what you were saying earlier. I'm like, this is just bad karaoke. It was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Same song over. Come on. <laughs> yeah. I'll just put on the goddamn album. <laughs> Speaking of another band you and I both really liked, but this was the early 90s, early mid 90s, Alice in Chains. They lost Lane Staley, somebody who we both really admired as a lead vocalist. Jerry Cantrell is a talented guitarist and songwriter. He seemed like he could have had a respectable solo career. But Alice in Chains came back with a new lead singer. Do you think this was a cash grab? I called myself an asshole the other day, Jim. It's actually quite a common occurrence <laughs> because you asked me that question in a text. And my first response was, I wish he would just call it the Jerry Cantrell band. Yep. Ooh. So yeah, on the count of three, everybody call me a dick. One, two, three. One, two, three. <laughs> Matt, you're a dick. You're a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Why? This is a case where my initial reaction was the singer is the band. And that's bullshit. Jerry wrote most of the music. And did a lot of the singing as well. 
Yeah, he did. That droning dual dual harmony was mm-hmm. him and Jerry Kent or uh, Lane Staley. He was the main driving energy in that band. And yeah, it, it wouldn't have been the same without Lane, but I can't diminish Jerry's what he did, the contribution he is to Alice in Chains. He is Alice in Chains. And he's continued on. He had some solo albums under his name and under, obviously Alice in Chains continues on. But you know what? Without Lane, it still sounds like Alice in Chains. And that's because a lot of that was Jerry Cantrell. It was him. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. All right. But Jim, it's time. The part I was looking forward to the least. Uh-oh. The Grateful Dead. Oh, yeah. yeah. Do you think people cared as long as the drugs didn't wear off? <laughs> Sorry, cheap shot. Cheap shot. <laughs> Once Jerry died, though, it had to feel like it was over. I had a deadhead friend, and he had a bad few days over this. I have friends who every year are still posting on Facebook yes. how they they miss Jerry and their love yep. for him and, and such. And I think the dead going on was more of a keeping the spirit alive thing in reality the dead may have been a zombie band for many many years because they lost ron pigpen mckernan back in the early Mm. 70s and he was a big part of them influential to their rise to fame and a, a songwriter how many great keyboard players that joined them though afterwards have died and i'm i'm gonna i'm the asshole right now for laughing as i say that but that's just a zombie seat in the band. It's the honorary Spinal Tap member of the band, man. It's not the drummer. Dude, it's the keyboard dude, player. It's five. <laughs> five keyboard players. Five? Minus Bruce Hornsby and some other guy who's I've forgotten right now from the early 70s. I can't remember his name. Matt, you keep that joke to yourself. I'm going to say it. <laughs> Aww, you, yeah, you you're right. I should. They could keep going until one Highlander keyboardist remains. <laughs> Their following cannot possibly survive that long, can it? Uh, I don't know what kind of crowd size they would pull in, or even if they're touring. I think they stopped recently, uh, but they weren't under the Grateful Dead moniker. I think they were under just the dead or something. It's hard because there were surviving members, so who knows? I'm sure dead fans know who went on mm-hmm. with what. Um, didn't fish take that shit over anyway? Uh, that's a misconception maybe for a while in the nineties, but neither band has the same kind of tour followers. They used to people grew up. So I'm not touching that comment, but you're going to get all the hate mail this time. Yeah. From the show. <laughs> yeah. And I know there's probably some dead fans out there listening. I, I'm just, I'm just poking. I like to poke <laughs> because really if, if they're still touring and people get this, this good feeling, this vibe, this experience, then, hey, do you. But you're right. I'm being an asshole. I'll take all the slings and arrows. And really, besides, what does a KISS fan know about taste anyways? <laughs> <laughs> so so let's get out of the dead territory, all right? It's Halloween, the dead, you know, We but let's get out of the cemetery. We're not jam band connoisseurs anyways, but let's move on to Queen. Okay. How do you think... Freddie Mercury would react to Adam Lambert. A lot of people will attribute Adam Lambert, but Queen's real comeback began with Paul Rogers. I had a look into this and I had to do some research this week because I knew we would talk about Freddie and Queen. Apparently, Freddie Mercury idolized Paul Rogers. He loved him. The band felt that he would have been chuffed if Rogers was out there singing. And even this past year, Brian May did say in an interview 
that Freddie would have given them his blessings. I have to wonder how many times he's had to say that in interviews, <laughs> Yeah, you know, but, but I, I found an article this year where he said that he thinks Freddie would have wanted them to go on. I've, I've heard what they've done live and it does sound good knowing that he comes from that American idol vein of entertainment, uh, talent finding mm-hmm. boy, that's rough to take. But he does, <laughs> he does do a good job. And yeah. I think Freddie, he would have looked at Adam Lambert and said, oh, that's cute, darling. Followed by, hold <laughs> my drink, bitch. <laughs> Nobody upstages the man. There are tears, right? There's no one best thing. I don't think you can put somebody up at the very top. There's tears. Best band fronts ever. Freddie is in that top tier. And I think everyone else in that tier would look at Freddie and go, mm, is, this, is this okay? Am I doing this, this right? right? Yeah. <laughs> Am I doing this right, Freddie? Because Freddie knew how to lead that band. You look at some of those huge concerts that they would put on and what he would do on stage to get the crowd going. It was mm-hmm. amazing. It was. Well, I'll say at least that they build it as queen with Adam Lambert. True. He was never a member of the band. They only list the core four as members. The rest have always been guests or touring members. And that's respect. Yes, it is. So I'm I'm sure you've also heard about Thin Lizzy going on. Uh, Did they release anything after Lionut's death? Well, Queen never released anything after Freddie died either. Oh, true. Trick question. (laughs) Yeah, being a zombie band doesn't mean new material is always going to be released. I avoided saying this, talking about Queen, but this is when a band kind of becomes a tribute to itself. The guitar players from Thin Lizzy have been touring ever since the 80s and 90s under the same name, just rehashing the classics over and over again. Actually, this month, there's a a live album that's getting re-released or released uh, some of their classic songs, but they're still out there making money off of it. I found this a little stranger than Queen, though, because every member of Queen is in the Songwriters Hall of Fame. So much respect to them. I can't even name one of the guitar players from (laughs) Thin Lizzy. Well, first, you've taught me something today. I did not know that they were actually continuing. And the only member of Thin Lizzy I know by name other than Phil Lina is John Sykes because of Whitesnake. Okay. But But he was only in there for maybe an album. So I don't even know if he's even really attached to Thin Lizzy anymore. But I know what you're getting at, though. Can you name more than two or three songs by Thin Lizzy? When you got Boys Are Back in Town, Whiskey in the Jar, and uh, what, Jailbreak? Yeah, there you go. Yep. And and I don't mean to be disrespectful. I'm, I mean, if they're still touring, people are still coming to see him. Yep. Right? It's just, you know, personal ignorance on our part. <laughs> <laughs> you know... But I will say that they seem like maybe they're a foundational band that influenced a lot of people, kind of mm-hmm. like how we can't name many songs from Mott the Hoople or T-Rex, but it seems like every band in the 80s was citing them as influences. What about bands that replace players who seem irreplaceable, like legendary players in the band instead of the front men? Say like Led Zeppelin losing Bonham as compared to The Who losing Keith Moon. both of those drummers had a massive impact on the world of rock music. You know why I like this show, Jim? It's all about Matt. 
what's your opinion on this? This is awesome. <laughs> I love the questions. <laughs> but drummers, we keep saying this. We love drummers. They add so much personality to a band's sound. That's what drives me nuts with a lot of new music is they don't let drummers add their little flares and their personality. Led Zeppelin called it a day when Bonham died, but I think the Who's sound evolved more over their history than mm -hmm. Zeppelin's. Songwriting had changed so much with the Who. They had eight albums with Moon, so I think enough time had passed where people would maybe find it more acceptable. Most bands don't last that long to begin with. Yeah. And a song like Eminence Front, love that song. It would be drastically different had Moon played on it. But I will say there are times in that song where it could have used his flair. You know, I love the steady beat in the song, but man, Moon could have really jazzed it up just a little bit. I like to ask you questions so that I can actually hear your answer and then choose if I'm going to disagree or agree with <laughs> oh, you. Oh, <laughs> I know. I know there's a setup there. <laughs> but I, I don't disagree with you here. I think for years, people were begging for a Led Zeppelin reunion. Oh, like forever. Oh, yeah, for a long time. There was the fiasco at Live Aid with Phil Collins. We're not going to count or get nope. into that. And they did finally have the one-off concert in the 2000s with John Bottom's son, Jason, taking the throne. People really liked that. I've seen the concert video of it. It's really good. I enjoyed it. Was this more acceptable because it was Bottom's kid, because it was his son? Yeah, sometimes it's be more be careful about what you ask for because you're going to regret it. But... I'm sure it was a bit of therapy for everyone involved because the band, it kind of gets maybe a little bit of closure because they're mm -hmm. playing with Bonzo's son and he's yeah. a good drummer. He's a good drummer. He, he plays hard like his dad did. Yep. And do you, but do you think adding a family member could be a way of making it more acceptable or at least interesting to fans? I, I kind of think so. If you probably done a poll, in the previous 15 to 20 years that Bonham had been, Jason Bonham had been out playing with his band Bonham. And you asked all the Zeppelin fans, Hey, if this band got together, who would you want the drummer to be? You'd probably have a couple of idiots out there that would put Phil Collins, you know, or oh, something like that good. in yeah, because of live aid. But I would hands down have to say that Jason Bonham would be the top choice. I have no doubt in that, that that's what the fans would have wanted to see. Yeah, and Jason Bonham's been in a few bands that I picked up recently, like uh, California Breed that he's done mm -hmm. with uh, Hughes from Deep Purple fame. Yep. But, but but I think because he plays the drums, the same instrument as his father, and then Wolfgang Van Halen plays guitar now like his dad did. Yeah. I think sometimes there's a, that there's that comparison. So people are like, oh, no, I don't need to hear so-and-so's kid carry on the torch when, you know what? F you grumpy pants. Just listen to it. <laughs> it, it. It's good, right? This is coming from us. And over the course of doing the show, I think I've learned to lighten up a little bit and just accept it as, hey, somebody's getting something out of this. Yeah. I right? think that it probably brought the band closer to being back full circle by having Jason there. If they brought in an unknown or just someone famous like Dave Grohl, I don't think it would have felt as intimate to the fans or the band on the stage. If you watch that concert video that I'm talking about, I think it's called Celebration Day. Mm -hmm. You can see the guys from Zeppelin looking back at Jason during parts of the songs with this kind of fatherly pride. 
you know, they're happy. Yeah, they to probably have him watched there. him grow up. Yeah. So they're like, this is this is pretty goddamn cool. Yeah. And really, what has anybody really been happy with a solo Zeppelin project? <laughs> That's a good question. R- right. I mean, yeah. people are like, oh, Jimmy Page, Outrider. Yeah, a couple good songs. Oh, The Firm. Mm-hmm. Oh, Robert Plant. Oh, why'd you go like bluegrass? in the mood? And then that's it for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, on one hand, hey, they have the cachet to go do whatever the hell they want. Yep. Right. And if you don't like it, you you know you don't like it. That's all there yeah. is to it. <laughs> but they were smart to never release anything under the Led Zeppelin name ever again. Oh, it would have been a huge mistake. That would have been horrible. So obviously fans would have ripped them for it, right? Oh, definitely. The best songwriting days for Zeppelin were 40 years earlier. You just pointed out their solo material. I don't think collaboratively it would have been much better. Their albums weren't getting better as their career was going. Well, because they ran out of blues artists to rip off. Yeah, they did. <laughs> and they couldn't have lived up to any of the anticipation or expectations the fans would have had. I just don't think it would have happened. Oh, that's a huge, that's a huge point right yeah. there. There's so much expectations that I think a lot of it is why the Phil Collins thing was just such a, freaking tragedy yeah all right so getting away from zeppelin this is different from say uh the son clarence clemens nephew taking the role of saxophone in the e street band backing bruce springsteen well did they make it known that it was his nephew with people going in because that that could make a you know a big difference but we're, we're unplugged from most things Springsteen, but I think fans would think it it's kind of awesome at first. Yeah. Then about halfway through the show, or maybe in the third song, you know, they wouldn't care as much who was playing the saxophone. Not to be harsh, but they paid money for Bruce. They did. Clarence Clemens was a he was the big man. On he was stage. beloved. Oh, he sang he he had that exact line in a couple of songs, if I'm not wrong. He did. Yeah. Yeah. And he definitely was a, a character larger than life as part of the E Street Band. I think when you think of the E Street Band, you and I, as as respectable fans of music, can name probably four or five members of that band. But Clarence Clemens definitely had an image on his own that was... Yeah, band was full of great musicians. All right, let's get a little bit back to zombie bands and talk about those who could have never been replaced two bands that immediately come to my mind are obviously Nirvana and Kurt Cobain and the doors, Jim Morrison. You can't replace someone who is synonymous with the band, right? You couldn't replace Angus Young and ACDC back to our previous conversation, but that can be said about both of these guys, Morrison and Cobain. I don't know how much Morrison added to writing the music, but his words, his style and his mystique was the band. He was the doors. Yeah. Morrison didn't write music, but he'd often come up with a melody for his poetry. So he had a melody line and he'd sing it to Ray Manzarek and Ray Manzarek would then create the music underneath it. And (laughs) Robbie Krieger wrote light my fire, probably their most famous song. So that whole band was a collaboration. But when you see a picture of Jim Morrison, the first thing most people think of is The Doors. His imagery created their band. Also, 
sitting there in a bathrobe, in a chair, cigarette in hand, uh, drinking uh, the other. We have Kurt Cobain as iconic. Ooh. Yeah, Kurt again, the voice, but he was also the main writer within the group. So you got a double mm-hmm. whammy there. Yep. Nirvana was responsible for changing the musical landscape in the 90s, and Kurt led the way. He's the Angus Young figure of Nirvana. Hair metal was dying, and everyone was scrambled to find a new thing to fill that void. And Nirvana did it. You know, it's kind of a burnout versus fade away situation. Yeah, I think there was some lasting sentiment because these guys did both burn out quickly. L.A. Woman was a comeback album for The Doors at the time. It had just come out when Jim Morrison died. And In Utero might not have had the same impact as Nevermind, but it was still loved and respected by the fans. Hell yeah, even though it may, be, it may have felt like a little bit of a disappointment because it wasn't as revolutionary. Mm-hmm. As never mind. Oh no, they still sound like themselves. What are you going to do? <laughs> That's kind of what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they had a little bit more polish, but Hey, respect for any band that changes the course of music history. Yeah. So Jim, are you ready for bizarro world? Let's do it. I Matt. have some hypotheticals for you. Okay. All right. So imagine if you will, in a world where Angus young had died instead of Bon Scott. Oh, would ACDC have continued? This is like uh, uh, the what if section of the episode. ACDC would have been finished. Bon Scott may have had a small, respectable solo career had he been the one to go on, but those riffs that Angus brought to Back in Black lifted them up to the icon status mm, that they went to. 100% correct. Next bizarro <laughs> world question. Next what if. What if David Lee Roth had died instead of getting kicked out? Well, I think we'd remember him much differently. I think he would have been given a much higher placement in the discussion of great frontmen, especially if we're talking 1984 and the really the, the presence of MTV and the music videos. I think those would have propelled him to icon status. Yes, he was. At the at that nineteen eighty four level, mm-hmm. he yep. was reaching iconic status right there. I yep. mean, I mean the videos, the imagery that they would that they would use with him, he was he was there. But adding value to what you said, there was a point where Dave kind of became a caricature of a front man. Mm-hmm. He, you know, having a Vegas tenure probably didn't help that and that the bluegrass versions of Jump and Jamie's crying. <laughs> But we, I think we've joked about it before, creepy Uncle Dave, right? He just yeah. kind of had this <laughs> shyster kind of air about him. I think on his end of things, it was all about being a showman, right? But it did come off as kind of being cheesy. It did. <laughs> you it know, did. it may be just a little disingenuous, like he was trying to be a showman, right? Instead of just being a showman. But you're right. Van Halen would have carried on, obviously. Maybe or maybe not. They would have found Sammy Hagar, who's to say. But they were obviously sick of him, so it's kind of easy to say that. (laughs) Well, that's true. And maybe it would have taken longer, maybe not. But they would have moved on. They would have done something else. Eddie was a lifelong musician, so he still would have been creating music with his brother. Yes. What matters with zombie bands, though, is what we said earlier, timing. Don't you think? Oh, yeah. If the band's already well beyond its prime, uh, people aren't going to suddenly go rushing out to see the new member. 
their days come and gone. And thank God this didn't happen. Imagine if Debbie Harry had died right after Heart of Glass. I mean, they they have had eight albums since Parallel Lines, and people only cared about one. But imagine if she had passed away right as Heart of Glass was coming out. Yeah, this is a, this is more what if. I mean, could you have the police without Sting, Soundgarden without Chris Cornell, Stevie Nicks? You couldn't have replaced her in Fleetwood Mac. Mm, no, on all those police without Sting, oh, Fleetwood Mac without Stevie, Soundgarden, never to all of them. If a band has had its run musically, it matters less to fans. But if mm -hmm. it's at their height, it's a huge emotional blow. Every story has an end, and it's okay for our favorite bands to have the currents come down on them, but we shouldn't let it lessen the impact they've had on our lives. Well, people, they're not as emotionally connected. Will anybody remember this latest Rolling Stones album in a year? <laughs> Shit, Jim. People will forget it in six months, guaranteed. And what if a band continued without any of its original members? Kiss have had the idea thrown around that another group of dudes could just put the makeup on and keep on going. It would be weird. Would that mean only bands wearing makeup and masks keep going? We could have Slipknot forever. <laughs> you guar, know, always. Oh, my, oh, Guar. Yeah, that'd be <laughs> another great one. Uh, Kiss could maybe sustain it for a year. I think people would kick it to the curb after that much. They might check it out just for curiosity's sake. Um. I think what could help it is if Gene and Paul were the creative force behind like set design, show design, all of that. Yeah. Um, and they both can't retire at the same time. Right. There's got to be a passing of the torch. Uh, but I think it would be a train wreck. And also, I wonder if Tommy Thayer and Eric Singer, the new Ace and Peter, if they get tired of not having something new to play. Yeah. I don't know what they have going on outside of Kiss. New members would have to be satisfied also with being in a tribute band because I don't think anybody would let them get away with releasing new kiss material air quotes implied by my stuttered <laughs> speech pattern. I could see them trying to keep it out of Vegas level show, maybe no touring. So this would seem more like a tribute act. Yes. Let's get this out of the way on this show. Then we don't need to make a whole nother episode out of this and talk a little <laughs> bit about tribute acts. Cause they're kind of like a Halloween costume, a band on stage pretending to be a different band. Yeah. And I think, I don't think that would be interesting to anybody. No, <laughs> it, it, you're sarcastic. <laughs> I know it gets me sometimes. Cause you know, you get me stopped. You say that. I'm like, ah, ah. how does he mean that? <laughs> It's a bit of a left turn. So I'm going to ask yep. once again, a question about your take on tribute acts, but let me go embellish a little bit here. They seem to have been more and more popular over the past decade. We recently here in Aberdeen had a guy play a large venue. It was 25 pounds for a ticket to see Ed Sheeran. Well, not, you know, what are the, it, the fake Ed Sheeran? I think he Ed actually Shitton? went by his, yeah, <laughs> Ed Sheeran. I don't know, <laughs> but he went by his own name, but as a tribute to Ed Sheeran, but 25 pounds to go see this guy play. Do you think fans are really getting sincere satisfaction from something like this? I mean, Ed is still here. He's still out there touring. Or is this an opportunity for fans to connect with his music? Oh, man, this is a tough one. You know, if a band could pull off faithful renditions, I think it's okay. I No, it is okay. Mm -hmm. 
I think it ultimately comes down to what people want to hear. Tribute bands should be a notch higher than your typical cover band, right? Yeah. The quality has to be top notch. People in tribute bands must love the source material and are likely driven to be as accurate as they can be. No one mm -hmm. wants to hear a tribute band reimagine classics. That's, no. that's <laughs> dumb. Um, and don't you think as long as people know it's a tribute band going in, it's it's probably cool. It's probably mm -hmm. okay. You know, it's a couple hours of escapism and release. It's better than sitting at home watching TV all night. The the same stadium that Louis Capaldi packs with, you know, 7,000 people, the Queen tribute band is going to go play there. And that, they, they draw wow. crowds. Yeah, but it's not Queen. I guess maybe it's fun for everybody to get together and, you know, share this moment of music that they love. But if I'm going to go take it in, in that kind of environment, I want the real deal. I've seen a Pearl Jam tribute band in a club, but I'm never going to see Pearl Jam themselves in a little club. So that's kind of cool to go and see. But if you ask me if I want to go watch a Pearl Jam tribute band with 10,000 people, I'm going to say absolutely not. Uh, you you hit the nail on the head right there, I think. You think so? Yeah, I, I think if I'm gonna if I'm gonna go see a tribute band, I wanted to see it in like a theater or a club. I yeah. want to see it in a huge stadium. Well, you were telling me about seeing the Beatles on a cruise. Yeah, but that I mean it it's a cruise ship, right? It but it's, it's a not small like a huge stadium. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, but but it's like seeing them in a club. Yeah, and that's what you kind of want to see. To well, yeah. me personally, I shouldn't I, I shouldn't like try to make people think or feel the way I do. But I think when I see a tribute band, I want to have more of an intimate experience. Yeah. You know, what, you know, a smaller atmosphere and where, where people really care and love the, the band. But again, what right do I have to tell people is, what to do? Is there a line that can be drawn at musicians making their income from other people's music? Ooh. That's a that, that that's a tough one. I I personally I'm fine with it. I'm sure you've known musicians with a ton of skill, but maybe they can't write mm -hmm. music, right? Or maybe they can, but they can't write something that's going to be as big as they want it to be. Or or sometimes they don't have the drive to do it. Yeah. I get mixed feelings. If if someone's a great artist and can do amazing drawings, it wouldn't necessarily be right for them to do a tribute to Captain America comic and sell independent <laughs> comics with the same storylines and that characters. That would be a lawsuit. Maybe everything looks just slightly tweaked. And there's a thin line I'm not seeing. You can name it Captain USA, a tribute to Captain America. <laughs> that makes it acceptable. The Pearl Jam cover band that I just spoke about was called Pearl Jam UK the first time I saw them. I've seen them twice. Pearl Jam UK is almost like saying, oh, we call ourselves Pearl Jam as well, but since they're over there, we'll call ourselves Pearl Jam UK. They received the cease and desist letter from Pearl Jam's lawyers, and they had to change their name to Alive, a tribute to Pearl Jam. <laughs> oh, yeah, just call yourself Porch or Jeremy yeah, or yeah. elderly woman behind a counter at whatever, whatever it's got to do. You can get the point across without sounding like you're trying to maybe be a little dishonest mm -hmm. in how you're in how you're advertising it. But you, that's a huge point right there because I think. I think music is the only artistic form 
where copying or, you know, some reasonable facsimile is accepted. I mean, if you take a novel mm -hmm. or any kind of writing or a painting, drawing, whatever, and you recreate it and try to sell it, blah, 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 uh, I think you're going to get sued. It's plagiarism. Yeah. It is plagiarism. And this is where I don't know if, if tribute acts have to, do they have to pay a form of royalties? I don't, I don't know that. I'm I don't on, know that. Don't That's interesting. Yeah. And, but when we think about it as two guys who played music in our lifetime, our entire lives, we both would have loved to have found a way to make our living playing music and, and for that to be our main source of income. So in all the rights and wrongs we want to find in zombie bands, wouldn't everybody else kind of do the same thing? I mean, imagine the prospect of either getting your band, we'll go back to Blind Melon, back together to go on tour because you know people are going to come out and see you, or you're going to get a job down at Tire Warehouse. Oh, in a heartbeat, I play music. I mean, both of us, that's, yeah. that's in our blood. That's what we want to do. If you're a musician, there's nothing else you'd rather do. I'm lucky enough. I got some friends that I go jam with and it'd be great. It'd be great to go out and get paid for it. But at the same time, I get a fix from just going over and playing in the basement. I can be that 13 year old again, but I'd probably take the name with me to get as many people out there as I could. Yes. To make that money because that's essentially what they're trying to do. So I think what we have decided at the end of the show it varies. It can be a little weird it, sometimes. It, it depends. <laughs> yeah. It's a case by case way to look at it. It really yeah. is. There's timing and who you're, who are you replacing? Yeah. But it's a good subject for Halloween. Oh. So there we go. That's it. The zombie Halloween episode all wrapped up. And we will let the listeners make up their own minds. If they want to go see a tribute act, a zombie band, I think it's it's going to be a personal kind of thing for somebody. We need to move along to the next show. And that's just going to be a wrap up of the music that we find during the month of October. And we've already started that because it's October. We've recorded this episode and it's been pretty scary so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Rocktober usually is not yeah. a good month for music, I think. Yeah. Uh, I, think we're... I think people are anticipating the years winding down. And I don't know if they try to time up album releases with possible touring mm -hmm. in the last few few months of the year don't really have much to offer, but we're usually wrong, Jim. Yeah, we are. We'll find some stuff <laughs> out there for you to listen something. to. We'll find some good stuff and we'll just have to dig a little deeper. I do believe it's my turn to wrap it up this week. Yeah, it is. You ready? I am. All right. We want to thank everybody for listening to the Jam Yearbook. We hope you've enjoyed this episode dedicated to all things zombie related in rock and roll. We look forward to bringing you the greatest music from October that we can find. I'm sure we will also find some stuff we're going to warn you about. Yes. Because... Don't forget the shit. We always like yes. to tell you what shit <laughs> we do, <laughs> uh, but it's, it's been a lot of fun to talk about this this week and to put this show together. And finally, we have a show that does not have a list of songs <laughs> one way or the other. Oh, it's so, it's such a, it's so refreshing and non-stressful. And make sure you tell everybody to spread the word that we are out here still putting out shows. I think this is episode number 71. So 
we keep chugging along. Yeah, wow, we're collecting Pretty social good. security now. That's we are. Awesome. You can find us on Facebook page. We have the group page there. Take a look at it. Come join. But I think that's it. It's time to go bobbing for apples, don't you think, Matt? <laughs> yes, I think we should. Happy Halloween, everybody. And we will he- see you here next time for the best and the worst of October. Peace, love, and podcast.